Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season and festival season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to the winner. It's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I am here in North America. I'm here with Richard Lawson in Venice. Hello. Uh, buona notte. Buonasera? I don't know. <laughs> With David Canfield somewhere on the road between Telluride and Los Angeles, I think. Flagstaff, Arizona. Hello. <laughs> and with Rebecca Ford safely back home in Los Angeles, uh, air travel for the win, I guess. <laughs> Hi. Um, so yeah, Venice is still ongoing. Telluride has just wrapped up. The Toronto Film Festival is around the corner. I'll be heading to Toronto tomorrow. Um, there are so many movies to talk about. It's hard to know where to begin, except I guess, Richard, you still being on the ground at a film festival that's still ongoing. Um, Venice is kind of the typical 10-day schedule, unlike Telluride, which is a real quick in and out. Um, how's the vibes, Richard? How's Venice? The vibes are good, you know. Obviously, we don't have a lot of, like, big American stars here, unlike last year, which had, you know, Timothy Chalamet and then the Don't Worry Darling stuff. And that was, like, a very, like, all eyes uh, from, like, gossip publications were on Venice. And this year, it's just kind of film. Um, but, you know— Well, Jacob Ellery is very tall, though, so he is big in one sense of the word. He is quite tall. I was going to say, yeah, um, the Priscilla premiere was on Monday night here— and you could hear on the Lido, the island where the movie screen, I was not looking at the red carpet because I was going to something else, but I was outside and all of a sudden a scream erupted and I was like, oh, Jacob Elordi definitely just arrived. <laughs> uh, like, I guess Euphoria or whatever else um, has made an impression here in Italy. But that, you know, that was a big screening. It went over very well. Priscilla Presley was there. There was a party on a private hotel island afterward where you had to take these motorboats too. And and that felt sort of like the glam um, that had been otherwise uh, missing this year. But, 
either way, the lack of glam doesn't mean that there weren't exciting things. The movies, um, you know, a lot of them have been good. Well, let's start with Priscilla, though, because I think that's one, you know, without revealing too much about what we hear, like we had heard kind of a lot of mixed things about it ahead of time. And I think we were all in some ways bracing for disappointment. And then, Richard, you were like, wait, this movie's great. Uh, And you were not alone in that. Yeah, there had just been these sort of whispers that it wasn't good and it was sort of like a a really off movie for for Sofia Coppola. Um, Maybe it was good that I went in with sort of managed expectations, but I was really impressed. I mean, I, I think that... Um, the big question of the movie, I mean, especially, you know, we talked about Priscilla's book, Elvis and Me, on this podcast, um, is how is this movie going to handle the, you know, harder facts of how Priscilla and Elvis got together? She was 14 years old. He was 24. He kind of kept her sort of locked up in Graceland while he was away. Like, it's an intense story. And I think that Coppola manages to address that stuff without too much editorializing, it's kind of more in the audience's, uh, you know, hands to, to, to assess it. But also honor the fact that Priscilla, you know, does still speak lovingly of, of that time and of uh, her former husband. And um, I think she finds that balance, you know, um, in her gentle, artful way. I mean, this is a more straightforward aesthetically film than, than some of her other past work. Um, it's not as, you know, dreamy as Marie Antoinette or whatever else. But I think she conveys this feeling of a really young woman having a very strange coming of age at a lonely, in a lonely situation while still kind of caught up in this fantasy of, you know, a a rock star came and whisked me away to this whole new life. Um, And Kaylee Spenny, who plays Priscilla, communicates that well. And I think Lordy is really great as Elvis. You know, it's a much more interior performance because it's not about Elvis on stage like it was for Austin Butler in Baz Luhrmann's film. Um, it's where when it, it's he's really we just mostly see him when he's back home and being loving or or not. And um, I think he does a great job. It's really exciting the way that people are saying kind of blatantly this is her best film since Lost in Translation. And that film was such a breakthrough for her that when you're trying to predict like what an award season director will be or how we talk about it, I don't think they're a fair comparison. But it does feel like she's back in the conversation in a way that she hasn't been even with like really strong films like The Beguiled or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I would say best since Lost in Translation. You know, I I really like The Beguiled, for example. But I think what this movie does is it's really speaking to Coppola's films like Lost in Translation, like Virgin Suicides and uh, Marie Antoinette, that sort of, you know, young women a bit lost in this luxurious setting, but... but, um, not really sure what to do with themselves. Like it feels of a piece with um, Coppola's work in a way that you know maybe On the Rocks didn't, or even The Beguiled didn't. Um, so I think you're seeing that kind of reaction, especially from people who are really devoted Coppola fans. That this feels like the next kind of chapter in whatever treatise on you know um, American or, or inter- I guess just womanhood in general um, that she's been making since the start of her career. Yeah. Does that feel like the hit of Venice thus far, or is that just recency bias speaking? Yeah, I think that one definitely played near universally well. But I don't know. I think giving it competition would be poor things. The Yorgos Lanthimos film with Emma Stone. Um, Another sort of of coming-of-age movie, actually, uh, (laughs) but in a very, very different way. 
I was, you know, that's another one where I went in not sure what I was going to think about it because the trailer had given me some pause. But I really liked it. Emma Stone's incredible in it. And um, everyone else or uh, most people here seem to agree. So that was one of the ones that was doing the, the somewhat rare this year, Telluride and Venice combo, right? So David and Rebecca, you guys are hearing people talking about poor things in Telluride as well. Yeah, I think it's a, a huge success. I think Venice was the perfect place to premiere that movie. And then it gave it sort of the momentum that everyone on the ground at Telluride was already talking about it by the time uh, Yorgos made his nearly impossible flight from uh, Venice to Telluride in time. So um, it's I, I wondered how that film was going to do, honestly, because Yorgos Me is too. so unique and you have to really just go with what he is presenting to you and not try to be logical about it. And um, I did, I thought it would be more polarizing than it was, uh, even though I really enjoyed it. Um, but I am really impressed. It was like a huge success, I think, in its debut. It was one movie where Rebecca and I were had seen it before, and so we were really <laughs> unsure yeah. of what the reception would be. Um, and I, I really liked it, too. I'm, I'm a little bit more mixed on it. I just think maybe it's a little bit long and, and hits its points quite frequently. Um, mm. But she's really incredible. And one thing that became clear near the end of Telluride was Searchlight had the two most acclaimed films of either festival <laughs> uh, over the weekend. Because if you, I mean, it's pretty clear that they knew what they had with these two, having Poor Things Launch in Venice and All of Us Strangers, which is their other one, premiering in Telluride. And just based on the, the the numbers on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, it's pretty far and away those are the two that have run away with at least that stamp of approval. And that's pretty rare for a studio to just kind of have that, especially when they only have two movies competing uh, in that space. So it was definitely something that started getting talked about a lot, and you could feel the um, the glee uh, with that studio. There, they had a party in Telluride that Rebecca and I did not get into because it was at capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Which does not happen a lot in Telluride. There are not usually no, it lines not. to get into things. <laughs> and Emma Stone was in Telluride, right? Obviously, she's on strike. She's not walking the red carpet for poor things. But Yorgos was there getting uh, some kind of tribute. So there's a, there was a level of celebrity support, even if it wasn't super visible. She was like um, the Telluride yeah. ghost. Like I saw her the first day and then ever again, but she was definitely there. She paid her own way. Yeah. I was interviewing Severio Costanzo, who's a, an Italian filmmaker who also had a film that went from Venice to Telluride. And I didn't see her, speaking to your ghost theory, Rebecca, but at one point he went, Emma Stone. And I was like, what? He said, that's Emma Stone. And I looked and there was no Emma Stone, but apparently she was there. Is that part of the plot of Poor Things? I actually think this is the plot of All of Us Strangers, but uh, TBD. <laughs> yeah, All of Us Strangers, I mean, you were talking about Metacritic scores. It has a 98 on Metacritic, um, tied by the Zone of Interest, which did the Zone of Interest play at Telluride, or is it only... Yes, it did. And, okay. and I, I went to a screening there that... Um, those are actually the two movies where I don't know how you define played well, because it's sort of like they end and you can sense people stunned into silence a little bit. Mm. Um, I didn't see All of Us Strangers at Telluride because I'd already seen it, but the Zone of Interest screening, it was pretty remarkable, the spell that had been cast in that theater when, because it, it ends on a long black screen and it was just kind of uh, haunting, intentionally. Uh, yeah, I want to get to the Sandra Huller uh, moment of uh, Telluride with that and Anatomy of a Fall, but with the 98 score on All of Us Strangers, Richard, you might have you might be the, the two that keeps it away from 100 <laughs> with your review, although your review was not especially negative at all. Um, but it is interesting, like there, it is becoming kind of the like consensus, like you will weep at this movie and 
it might be a situation where moderating expectations is a good idea because I think when people are told like you haven't seen this movie but it's going to ruin your life um maybe a moderating influence like your review of Richard is, is helpful but you did like the movie a lot I think I did like the movie, but I went in thinking I was going to weep and I didn't. And because I had friends who had texted me being like, oh, my God, bring tissues to the screening, you know, and um, and I, I left dry eyed. Um, and um, I, I don't think that's necessarily a failure on the movie's part. You know, I just reacted to it in a more sort of intellectual way than an emotional way, which, um, mm. you know, that's OK. Like, I think it has really interesting, very grim, kind of despairing ideas about yep. um gay life particularly. And it's not that I don't relate to them in some ways. Um, I don't relate to everything that I think the character or maybe even Andrew Hay is going through through in the movie, but it's really strong. And I know people, you know, here in Venice who had gotten to see it early. Um, there was a lot of conversation about it here, even, um, even though it wasn't playing here. I think it would be really interesting to see how that movie fares. I mean, you know, it's it's similar to Poor Things in one way, which is like there's like sex in it. You know, we're kind of at this moment now where like with passages and all of us strangers and poor things, it's like I feel like that aspect of life has not been really sort of in the conversation of awards movies, uh, you know. Because no, you get uh. banned from TikTok if you express support for sex in movies, unfortunately. Right, exactly, exactly. So I don't know. I think that with All of Us Strangers and Poor Things, these two Searchlight movies that played very well at their respective festivals, like, are these Academy-friendly? Um, you know, they're certainly Critics Awards-friendly, um, top 10 list-friendly, but... Academy, I wonder about. I think the thing helping poor things and maybe why it got a sort of even better than expected reaction from both festivals is that toward the end and, and throughout, but really at the end, there is sentiment in there in a way that there's not in a lot of Lanthimos's other work, you know? And I think mm -hmm. you leave the theater feeling a kind of, I think I said in my review, sort of that like sense of accomplishment of a long journey, you know, completing and then you're home, you know? And I think that really helps it. And obviously there is a ton of sentiment um, in All of Us Strangers. So maybe that's the kind of special thing that puts these two f really respected filmmakers uh -huh. over the line. I mean, obviously, Lanthimos had success with The Favorite, but um, I think that also had some sort of emotional analogy to it, too. It's uh, it's interesting because I had a similar experience with All of Us Strangers to you, Richard, where literally I was sitting down in the theater in Telluride and a, someone came up to me and said, get ready to cry. And I was like, uh oh, like that's not. <laughs> I'll cry if I want to cry. <laughs> you don't tell me when to cry. No, but the you know the hype was. I saw a later screening at Telluride, so the hype was already pretty high for me, and I liked the film a lot, and I especially loved the performances. But I didn't. I wasn't as emotionally connected as the three people next to me who were bawling their eyes out by the end, you know. And and that kind of takes you out of your experience because you're like, why am I not? crying mm -hmm. like those people. So uh, I think, that, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays when more and more people see it. Because um, I think it's a really well done film. But yeah, I, I was, I don't know, that was a perfect example of how hype can really expect, uh, really affect your experience. So I was the only one who was heaving. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll get my chance <laughs> yeah. someday. Well, I was going to suggest, though, as mad as I am that All of the Strangers isn't at TIFF, because I'm dying to see it, I wonder if that hype level, if managing that is something that that film and some of the other ones that are not going to TIFF, whether you get a huge audience in front of you, you know, it'll be at New York Film Festival in about a month, which was, I think, a smaller crowd. I wonder if that's part of the math there, where you, you know, you get a lot of attention on a smaller scale, but then you don't immediately platform up to something huge like TIFF. Yeah, I mean, we, we should talk about the uh, the third movie that I think 
we heard a ton about in Telluride, which was Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. And that that is going to Toronto. And I, I think that that says a lot about both the confidence that that campaign is probably feeling right now. I mean, it was just playing like gangbusters in Telluride um, in a way that slightly reminded me of Parasite making those fall festival stops after its can premiere. Well, it's it's neon. It's like the blueprint, right? But also just the word of mouth. I mean, I remember being in Toronto at that Parasite year and it was the film that everybody was talking about. And certainly, you know, well, at the neon party, most obviously, (laughs) but also just (laughs) on the street and, and we're on the gondolas. Like it was the movie that, if I asked people what they were loving, it was that and Strangers and Poor Things that I heard about the most. And I think of those three, you know, Poor Things has this, you know, Lanthimos comic element that's really strong. From the people I talk to, I think Strangers does hit a, an emotional chord for a lot of people. And then I think Anatomy of a Fall is it's kind of a thriller. And it has this really strong, suspenseful element that I think carries it in a way that gives it an extra advantage because it's going to play really well with audiences and it already has. Um, so I'm really curious to see how that momentum continues in Toronto. Well, there was the, um, the Hollywood Reporter had a cover um, last week heading into Telluride with Sandra Huller, the star of Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest um, on the cover and said like, Sandra Huller, actress of the year, question mark. And Neon tweeted like, no question mark. She just is the <laughs> actress, which was kind of impressive negging on their part. But it sure feel, I mean, for, you know, Emma Stone getting incredible amount of praise for poor things. She won an Oscar not that long ago. I think she, she will be part of the conversation. But Sandra Huller just feels like on a rocket ship right now. Yeah, yeah, and she was in Telluride. Like she um, is able to uh, attend these festivals, which I think really helps her because mm-hmm. you know she's not as familiar of a face to American audiences. So I think that's a huge advantage she has uh, to be able to do interviews and show up and really get herself out there. And a lot of the movies in English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also enough in French where it can qualify for international feature, which is a nice little combo for that movie. I wonder if they did that math, <laughs> like when they were making it. <laughs> I think the they movie. do. One more line in French. One more line. <laughs> well, someone said it 51% to me, and I don't remember who said it or how accurate that is, but I'm throwing it out there. As, <laughs> if it is 51%, I have to believe that they know to an extent. But we don't know it's France's submission yet, right? They haven't made – I know, like, Japan chose the Vim Vendors movie recently, so those, those selections are starting to come in for international feature. Correct. We do not know yet. Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan.
Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. They have everything from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There is always something new to discover because with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore incredible movies streaming anytime, anywhere. Right now, they have a film collection for performers we love, and they are highlighting one of this year's Oscar frontrunners, Lily Gladstone. So I am here with David Canfield to talk about how much we love Lily Gladstone, and especially her film that is now on movie, Certain Women. David, fond memories there. Fond memories. What an introduction. None of us knew who she was before that film, um, but it's quite a thing to be in a Kelly Reichardt film with Michelle Williams, Kristen Stewart, and Laura Dern and completely steal it. And uh, now we're talking about it to this day. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Little Goldmen. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Little Goldmen for a whole month of great cinema for free. Movie.com slash little gold men. Um, okay, well, I want to stick with the best actress race for a Telluride premiere because I think Nyad, from what you guys were saying, was like the big, the other big like audience pleaser of Telluride. And talking about that like emotion where you get to the end of something and feel like you've been on a journey, like sports movie format is kind of hard to beat that. And it sounds like Nyad really gets there. Yeah, it's one of those. It was, I moderated one of the QAs and you could just feel in the audience because it is so uplifting. And, you know, a lot of the films that Telerate are not exactly uplifting, they're tear jerkers. But this one really is a very audience friendly film. And Annette Benning and Jodie Foster are beloved, especially by the filmmaking community. So I think everyone's really excited to see these performances. It has a lot of the ingredients to be really successful, I think, this this season for sure. And and they they brought along um, Bonnie, who is the Jodie Foster character, like who, you know, I, as my, I think I've said this before, my theory of like bringing in subjects and outsiders, especially athletes, like Hollywood just loves, loves seeing those people <laughs> and talking <laughs> to them. And she's very refreshing because she's just like not a part of the, the Hollywood machine. So oh, she because just, Diana you know, Naya, the real one, is in SAG. She's in Bonnie SAG, so she couldn't come. Yeah, so Bonnie was there and... I think that's a very charming um, aspect to have, you know, the real people there because you just can all sort of bask in their greatness in person. So um, they did a lot right, I think, with their debut. It is worth noting that also Diana and I appears to be in a bit of hot water over Mm -hmm. past statements uh, and things of that nature, which we don't need to get into at this point too in-depth on the podcast. But it was a talking point in Telluride, I will say. The LA Times had a a really good piece kind of running down the situation that the film finds itself in vis-a-vis Diana Nyad, who was somewhat involved in the movie uh, and worked with Annette Benning uh, just in training and things like that. But it's mostly about I, her inflating her record, right? Like that's the yes. crux of the, the accusations. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the movie presents a pretty, you know, flawed portrait of her. So I, I don't know that the movies necessarily made a, gigantic mistake on that part. However, I, I do think that depending on how this goes, it's worth it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, uh, and I wrote about this a little bit over the weekend, I, I think this is a movie that's going to be underestimated. You know, just hearing about how it played with like literal cheering in the screening mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix will have 
movies that are more critically acclaimed, like May, December or Maestro, which we will of course get into. Um, but this movie has a really rousing crowd pleasing quality um, that coupled with the narratives of Benning and Foster and, you know, caveat, I do think campaigning will be an important part of this movie's trajectory. So we'll see how <laughs> the strike impacts yeah. that. Um, you know, I think it has something that is going to speak to a pretty wide, ch- a pretty large chunk of the Academy and that has some really strong narratives to play off of. And and they're both really fantastic in the movie. And um, whatever people think of the rest of the movie or the brewing backlash around it, um, those elements, I think, are pretty undeniable. Uh, yeah, I wanted to jump to my show, speaking of biopics and Netflix and brewing controversy in various ways. Um, you know, we had heard, I had read your review of my show before the festival, Richard, so I was kind of like prepared for it. It, it felt to me like it flew a little under the radar at Venice, which surprises me because it is such a major movie that did get really good reviews. Am I reading that wrong? I was obviously not present in Venice. No, you're not reading that wrong. It was It was weird. You know, um, you would see people at, you know, a screening the next day and say, what do you think of Maestro? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I liked it. You know, like, and that was kind of it. Um, Which does not mean anything for that movie's, you know, trajectory, I don't don't think. Um, I think that it's really going to find more ardent support um, at New York Film Festival where it's playing. It's a very, you know, it's a very bad, a very New York figure, even though he's from Boston. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that regardless of, Maestro, you know, maybe getting a little bit, not overshadowed, but it was sort of sandwiched between two, like, movies that went over really well, you know, in in Poor Things of Priscilla. I think that what everyone I've spoken to here said, you know, after the initial, I liked it, is that Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper are really great in it. Um, and that was kind of my big takeaway. I appreciate a lot of the movie, its artistry. Um, I think it has a little bit of an issue deciding how it wants to tell the story and really what story it wants to tell versus, you know, um, a career biopic of Bernstein or a love story of of a sort with him and Felicia Montalegre. But regardless of that, the performances, I think, are really like big and theatrical in a great way and really exciting. And um, I don't think they will have any trouble, um, main, you know, staying in the awards conversation all, all the way till uh, the actual show, the Oscars. Is it Bradley Cooper versus Barry Keoghan? And we're going to set Killian Murphy oh. and Oppenheimer aside and focus on the new shiny stuff. Because certainly in terms of best actor, it seemed like um, Barry Keoghan and Saltburn was really the, the competition for attention to Bradley Cooper. Hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about Saltburn? First? I know that you, you opened up a can of worms there, Katie. <laughs> I don't know which direction to take There's this so one. many places to go with I it. I had an involuntary hmm to the <laughs> Rebecca, why don't you, yeah, <laughs> you I break mean, that the down? The first day, David and I go this very nice brunch uh, before anyone's seen any movies at Telluride. And we kind of poll people about what they're most excited or curious about. And Saltburn, I think, won that race By far. very clearly because everyone was just like really curious to see this movie. And then. Well, thanks for our first look, too. Those images yes, we ran. It was obviously all because. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and then as the festival went on, you know, the film was met with a lot of mixed reactions. But. There was tons of debate anywhere you were in line in on, on a gondola. Mm-hmm. You were this is the movie people were bringing up to debate about how you, they felt about it. And to me, that's really exciting. I had seen this movie a little early, and I knew it would be divisive. I think the reviews are sort of almost some of them not Richards, but some of them sort of gleefully 
critical, but mm-hmm. it's a whole, I don't know, a whole nother um, thing we can get into later. But, you know, its reviews are very mixed to negative. So I, I'm really curious. Like, I think this is going to be a really interesting study about how it does throughout the season. I think Barry Keoghan is undeniable in that role and Roseman Pike is so good. And you just hope these performances don't get lost um, among the debate. So I don't know. It's it's such a, a strange, strange uh, rollout. I don't know what's going to happen to that movie. To be really blunt about it, it, it was the worst reviewed world premiere out of Telluride. And that's a pretty notable fact of that the matter. That surprises me so, because I just feel like I saw much more of that, deb- even on Twitter, like more, much more of that debate and like eagerness to engage with it more than just negativity. Well, I mean, th- a lot. this is a really strong Telluride. I mean, that's the other yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. side of that is a lot of the films were very, very well received. Um, I think that the difference between a movie like that and say a movie like Nyad, which isn't going to get, you know, glowing reviews either, is I don't know that, you know, I was thinking about Saltburn in comparison to Poor Things, which is you know, Poor Things is really going to need that level of of support. Whereas Saltburn, it's a really weird movie. It's a very, you know, depending on your perspective, I think for a lot of Academy members, very risque movie. And I, I think it's in a tough spot awards-wise. You know, I, I saw it on opening night. I had a great time at that screening. <laughs> and I did leave it feeling a little bit like, huh. You know, I, I just don't know if it's going to have the juice without that kind of, of fuel, you know, it will have a strong audience response for sure. Um, and I think Barry Keoghan is amazing in the movie, really amazing. And I hope he is in that conversation, but uh, I wrote a piece over the weekend about just the amount of best actor contenders that emerged, you know, that first night alone in Telluride, because you had, in addition to um, Keoghan, you had Coleman Domingo, who I think, is really wonderful in a movie that will be more easily embraced in Rustin. Paul Giamatti, we really probably should talk about The Holdovers, yes, which sure. I think is a very tasty uh, Oscar movie uh, for that demographic. And I think Andrew Scott is really a strong competitor. That's definitely my, you know, desires <laughs> filtering in a little bit. But, you know, the movie I would compare it to acclaim-wise – Vibe-wise is something like After Sun, and I think he will fill that slot in a way where I think the love for the movie is going to be stronger than the love for Saltburn. I mean, the idea of being a polarizing movie that gets everybody talking and that takes you a long way, like that is the promising young woman path. And 2020 was an outlier Oscar year in many ways. But I think if we have these emotional movies that, you know, try to get you swept up in feeling, having something that kind of needles people is, might not be a bad route uh, compared to the competition out there. I do think one difference is that Promising Young Woman had a kind of s- more a clear social bent to it that yeah. people could glom onto in that regard. And Saltburn is, it's really fun and... Uh, maybe more surface level. You know, I think what Emerald Fennell accomplishes here is really impressive aesthetically, but it is a movie that I think is harder to sort of assert a level of, you know, say importance or or weight, um, which which is the tricky thing here. And, you know, if it's just a fun fall thriller that makes some money, great. You know, I don't think it necessarily has to be awardsy. You know, I would vote for Rosamund Pike in a supporting actress thing, you know, maybe first round or something. Like, Absolutely. You know, She's so fun. Uh, Barry, obviously, is really good, too. Very revealing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, and Elordi's good. 
But I don't know. I think that movie might might kind of get a little burdened by awards expectations in a way that like, you know, maybe it should just kind of be a fall thriller. I don't know, but um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think also my personal gripe with that movie, but maybe that kind of applies to why it was a little tepidly received at Telluride is like, I really enjoyed it and then didn't like the ending. And if you leave the theater with that feeling in your head, it's like, oh, you know, like it kind of almost undoes everything that you saw for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes when the last five kind of don't work for you. Um, and then you have it's to like kind of It's like the opposite to... of the triumphant sports ending. Like it sends you out uh, dampened as opposed to uplifted. Right. Which could also, speaking of things that might you might think are triumphant sports stories um, but aren't, is Ferrari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is like the Michael Mann movie that, that was here at Venice was like, I, I dumbly went in expecting like a, a basically a Ford versus Ferrari prequel, <laughs> 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 uh, which, you know, not my cup of tea necessarily, but like I thought it would be arousing. And there are like really bracing racing scenes, car racing scenes, but like two of them end in horrific tragedy. <laughs> so it's just like, I don't know what that does to that movie's Oscar chances, uh, even though there are good performances. But yeah, that ending at fe- at festivals in particular, you want to get people in some way soaring out of the theater or weeping out of the theater because of what you know, whatever the last shot was almost, um, because that goes a long way. Was well, that what The Holdovers has going for it? You were saying it kind of fits an oscar demographic. And it's a movie that I think you guys all liked, too. Um, not that it's simple, but um, Alexander Payne, I guess, is not really like the triumphant saga person we think of. But it does sound like it's pretty appealing. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's because it is like classic. It feels very, you know, it's obviously harkening back to the 1970s filmmaking. And you just... You're just enjoying like really classic filmmaking with really strong performances when a lot of what we're seeing is, as we're saying, you know, polarizing and weird and bold. And and this is just like a really charming, well done movie that I never looked at my watch, was just like totally in the world he brought us. And, you know, when I think about the Academy audience, especially the more traditional, that is definitely going to appeal to them. I, 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 I really liked it, too. It, it just plays really well. It's a great Toronto movie. I would definitely watch out for it for the audience award. Um, it seems to be have its eye on that kind of path. And, you know, Alexander Payne's a director who usually is very embraced by the Academy. He was nominated for Best Director for Nebraska, even, which was a smaller movie um, that had a bit of a slower launch out of Cannes, I remember. I I would be surprised if this isn't pretty strong player for him and for focus features. It's their main um, focus as it were uh, this hmm. year. Hmm. I think Giamatti is very much in a very densely packed best actor conversation, I think, but he's for sure a part of it. Um, I think divine joy Randolph can go really far in sporting yeah. actress. That's my, that's my, that was my strongest like awards take out of the movie. In addition to just really enjoying it and appreciating that Alexander Payne was back in this mode. Um, he really gives that character uh, a lot of space and he allows her to be funny and heartbreaking and more than what I was fearing Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, what the stereotype of that character could be. Uh, And that's in large part to, to her performance, which is really commanding every time she's on screen. And uh, it feels like the kind of breakout performance from an actor who suddenly you're seeing in a whole bunch of things uh, that could really coalesce a lot of support. 
She was so great in Dolomite Is My Name, which was a big TIFF breakout yes. in 2019, I guess. Um, and like mm-hmm. it felt for that moment like she could really ride those coattails. So it feels kind of nicely full circle. I mean, it did it didn't well premiere at TIFF, but it does feel like that is the movie that can build off of these festivals to a big audience moment by going to TIFF as opposed to some of these other ones. Yep. Um, well, Richard, we're talking about actors, and I feel like there's two there's two films with almost identical titles. I'm not totally sure we're going to have in this actor this best actor conversation, but I'm very interested in both Richard Linklater's Hitman and David Fincher's The Killer, which I think it sounds like he liked one of them significantly more than the other. Yeah, it's funny that Linklater and Fincher are these two like huge American directors, you know, sort of from the same generation. Um, make very, very different movies. But, um, you know, them both having world premieres at Venice, like that feels like that's a big, big deal. And yet I think both movies, one for kind of good reasons and the other for slightly bad ones, it, like they neither of them uh, feel that significant here. Um, the link later is really cute. Um, you know, Glenn Powell, it's based on a true story. He plays a, a kind of unassuming guy who is freelancing with the New Orleans Police Department to sort of help them entrap in a way uh people trying to hire a contract killer but then through a twist of fate he has to become the undercover guy pretending to be a hitman um and get sort of swept up into something because of that so he, get, he gets to play I all just this rewatch wet. the departed so that sounds all perfectly reasonable to me <laughs> oh right yeah it's yeah exactly exactly um but you know glenn powell gets to play you know put on wigs and do funny accents in a kind of series of scenes and um but but otherwise just really like hold the camera with his innate charisma which is pretty significant as uh as people who've seen him and various things know, um, so that's fun. It's not. It's not. Doesn't have a distributor, I don't think. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. Um, that will be at TIFF also, um, yes. and sounds like maybe it could be a, a fun time. Yeah, I think that there will be interest in seeing it because it was at Venice. It's probably going to get you know mostly favorable reviews here, I think. And then yeah, Netflix has The Killer, which is the Michael Fassbender starring movie where he plays an unnamed assassin, much much more high high stakes than than the people in the Linklater film. And there's some really great set pieces in that movie. There's a great fight scene that involves household implements and fists and guns. And it's, it's just like, it's really good Finchery technical filmmaking. Um, and then the Tilda Swinton uh, part of the movie is really great because she's great. Um, but the whole thing didn't really hang together for me. I think its structure is sort of innately anticlimactic, the way it, the story is told. And um I don't know, it feels like an odd choice for Fincher kind of returning to his more gritty, dark roots after Mank um, to make something that feels this small, you know, and it, it doesn't really announce itself with much vigor beyond, you know, a couple interesting set pieces. Um, so I'll be curious to see what happens with that. Um, it is getting a theatrical release before it drops on Netflix. But but yeah, I think in the Battle of the Hitmen... I think Linklater wins, although the big loser is probably Harmony Corrin, who had a movie here called Agro Drift that is shot entirely in infrared heat vision that uh, I don't know anyone <laughs> no, who stayed God, for the whole movie. you've lost me, Richard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone who stayed for the whole movie. I'll say that. Oh, man. I think it's premiering at midnight at Toronto, which sounds like a real like opportunity for weird dreams or something. That is also about a hitman. and that So I think if we had to rank the hitman, it would start with Agro Drift, then Killer, and then and then Hitman himself. 
Uh, well, Venice isn't usually an acquisition market, but there was actually news out of there um, for Ava DuVernay's origin, which, Rebecca, you had the first look on where she talked about making that movie independently, very deliberately. And now she has a distributor, although a distributor who's not part of AMPTP. So uh, presumably we'll be able to continue hearing about it through promotion. Um, tell us about origin, Rebecca. Yeah, so Ava made it very clear she wanted to make this independently Um I read Cast, you know, it's Isabel Wilkerson's book that was a really, really big hit. And I was like, how is this adaptable? This seems impossible. But what, you know, what she did with it was very smart is she made it about Isabel's own journey, writing the book and doing the research and her own sort of personal challenges. You know, she had some loss in her own life that a loss, uh, you know, within her family that happened around the same time. And that really holds the story together and features an incredible performance by Anjanou Ellis, which I think we're all really excited to see. So um, it's a very emotional film. I was bawling by the end of it, and I I felt like it would get picked up by probably, you know, it was Neon who picked it up. I expected something like that, one of these um, specialty distributors to pick it up because it's a really well done film. So it got announced that it's also going to Toronto. And I think it's building that momentum. And I think reviews should be out by the time this posts. But um, I think it's, it has something to say. You know, a lot of Ava's films really dig into specific issues. And, and she does that well here, but also makes it a really personal story. I'm very excited for Little Goldman MVP and personal friend, Anjanou Ellis, not really personal <laughs> friend, but one can hope. Uh, but she's so extraordinary. It, it is funny in, in Origin that um, Anjanou Ellis, her husband is played by John Bernthal. So basically, Venus and Serena's mom married their tennis coach. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I forgot wow. all about him being in, in King Richard. Um, yeah, that's really exciting. And it's, I mean, Neon is so dominant in this conversation we're having right now and with so many of these pickups and I think they must know they're in a good position being kind of outside of the strike negotiations. I don't think this I think this is the first time they'll have had so many like hardcore contenders in this way. It'll be a really interesting fall to watch how they play that out. I guess we don't know it's going to be 2023 yet. Um, yeah, that's also true. But yeah, they they have proven to be among the best at playing this game, this acquisition game and knowing how to position these movies. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for it. When I, when we had Anjanou on the show last month, two months ago, whenever the strike, whenever right before the strike happened, yeah. uh, she talked about just how hard she had to fight for this role and, and how much she believed she was the person to play it. And I'm excited to see what comes of that. And it's her first lead role, right? Wasn't that something you talked to Ava about, Rebecca? Yeah. And I mean, both her and John Bernthal, who is supporting, they're so just like full of talent and why don't they lead every movie because you just you can't stop watching them you know they're so incredible so and Nisi Nash has a great role in it which is also supporting so there's a lot of strong performers in it for sure John Bernthal might be cleaning up Emmys for season one of The Bear Golden Globes for season two of The Bear and then Oscar nominations for Origin all at the same time it's uh it's <laughs> not be... complaining just fine <laughs> with that just give him giant movie roles as a lead after all that please yeah <laughs> um before we wrap up the the Telluride conversation, I just want to shout out to the many listeners that David and I got to meet on the ground yep. there. I've Ooh. never I've never um, been approached so much as I was at this festival, and you know it's really cool to see. I should have known because obviously Telluride is for film lovers, but it was just really cool to sort of 
talk to the people who listen to this uh, out in the wild. So never, never <laughs> be afraid to come up to us. I think it made the festival uh, even more fun for me. Out in the wild, complete with roaming bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bears don't listen as far as we know. I, you you all will, will love to hear that at Zone of Interest, I was next to someone who asked who I write for. I said, I write for Vanity Fair. She said she was a huge listener of Little Gold Men. And then uh, said that she listened to your book club episode on Zone of Interest and uh, was very glad she did before seeing the mm. movie. And when you're like, why did you have to pick the one I wasn't on? <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. And I... I, I, I Got a little annoyed. No. <laughs> I had several gondoliers spit in my face and say, fuck off, little gold men. They, they don't like it. So. Sounds like Venice. Venice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're a Sean Fennessy fans. <laughs> we have no we have no beef with Sean Fennessy. Let's just be clear about that. Um, and yeah, so Richard and David and I, along with Hilary Busis, uh, frequent guests on the show, will all be in Toronto in a matter of days, seeing a good number of these titles. Also, if you are listening and you see us, please say hello. I'm looking forward to everything because I haven't seen anything yet. Um, I really wanted to shout out American Fiction, which we ran a first look on that Chris Murphy wrote for us. Um, it's Cord Jefferson's directorial debut. He won an Emmy for Watchmen. Uh, it stars Jeffrey Wright. It's an adaptation of a novel I haven't read, but it's like very like liter- literary world satire that sounds it's incredibly a great novel. sharp. Um, so I, that's a huge one for me. It's I mean, it's, there's so many titles at that are all these other festivals that kind of feel like the Oscar-y ones. And TIFF has like a couple movies that we know are coming out, a lot of acquisitions that are, you know, from these actor-directors that we don't know where they're going to be. Um, so titles like American Fiction or The Boy and the Heron and Nick Skull Wins feel like they're looming really large for me right now. How about you guys? There were a couple movies in Telluride that Rebecca and I started hearing about a lot. One of them was called The Teacher's Lounge. Oh, I, uh, which I, I got to see that early. It's really good. I couldn't make time for it, uh, and I'm really excited to check it out uh, in Toronto. I sort of had it in my mind that I could do that because the, the Telluride schedule gets so crazy. Um, you know, I'm really interested in Dumb Money. Uh, it, we also had a first look on that a while back uh, from Anthony Bresnikan. It's got really good cast. Uh, it's it's a fun, true story to <laughs> unpack, and it seems like something that's right up Craig Gillespie's alley. Um, your mileage may vary on what that means, but I think it'll be a fun TIFF premiere. Uh, and the other movie I would definitely highlight uh, that seems like it could be a TIFF breakout is Dream Scenario, starring Nicolas Cage. Ari Aster produced it, and it just sounds like kind of a wild ride. So we'll see how that one turns out. How about you, Richard? You have to re- recover from your um, transatlantic flight first, but then what will you be ready for? Yeah, I have a nice 12 hours in New York, and then <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm. I, there's some stuff that was at Telluride, like the Pain movie that I'm I'm excited to see there. I'm not going to get to see Origin here, so I'll check it out in Toronto. In terms of new premieres, I'm kind of, I think I said this last week, but I'm sort of excited to discover some things. I obviously have, like, there's um, Pain Hustlers. I'm curious about that. That sounds kind of grim and fun. But, like, I don't know. I have stuff on my schedule that's like, oh, Carrie Coon's in it, sure. You know, or, you know, Michael Keaton directed it. Okay, (laughs) you know, like, um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that the big question is because... A lot of the movies that we just spent the last, you know, 45 minutes talking about aren't going to be at Toronto um, for various reasons. Um, And so what movies that are then get that much more of a chance to kind of shine? I Mm -hmm. think 
depending on, I know how it's going to go. And then after Anatomy of a Fall plays there, it's like, well, Sandra Hewler is definitely getting an Oscar nomination. You know, like I think that's the mm-hmm. kind of fun thing to kind of keep an eye on. Zone of Interest is going to get a much bigger audience than it had in Cannes um, and in Telluride. So how does that go over? Um, I, I'm kind of excited to see those narratives solidify as long as well as making those other hopefully um, interesting mm-hmm. discoveries. And Nyad and the Holdovers, too, are, are in that category. Yeah, Nyad, I'm really, because um, that feels like the way you guys were just talking about Nyad, it's like, oh, so she's going to win. <laughs> mm. Well, inside well. baseball thing for Nyad <laughs> is that it's screening kind of late in the festival. It's not screening till Tuesday. Um, and Holdovers, I think, premieres on Sunday. Like, the often the movies that are coming from Telluride will have later slots in the festival. Um, so I'm not going to get the to women, see The Nyad. women talking effect. Yes, exactly. Well. So if you if you notice, like, weirdly muted buzz on Nyad next weekend, that's because it hasn't played in Toronto yet. Um you know, I guess it will start popping up in the middle of the week next week. Yeah. And Women Talking was still um, runner up for the People's Choice Award, despite premiering very late yes. there. And that, I think, was a big indicator of the fact that it actually could be an Oscar player, which mm-hmm. some people didn't believe at that point. <laughs> what will we be smug about uh, from this year's festival? Only time will tell. <laughs> I believe I have sent a text message to at least some of you that I think Bradley Cooper is going to win an acting Oscar. I maybe mm-hmm. am feeling less secure about that after after Venice, but we'll see. Don't I'm, back I'm down, sticking to Richard! It. Oh, <laughs> and you know, you know, I keep, I, I say Nyad and I don't say Rustin, and I should definitely, they're both Netflix biopics that I think have similar appeal, and Coleman Domingo uh, will hopefully meet a lot of love there. And he's also receiving a tribute in Toronto, mm-hmm. not for Rustin, which is a Netflix movie, and it is not mentioned on the TIFF tribute release form, but he's also there for an acquisition title called Sing Sing, which I don't know much about, although being a huge Coleman Domingo fan. I'm sure he's fantastic in it. And it's a canny way for him to still get a bit of a bump in this race because a lot of people can't do anything at all. Uh, Sing Sing's about um, the prison theater program. Um, yes, that's right. That's at Sing right, Sing that's Prison. Right. And it's him and I think a lot of the other people in the movie are actual uh, either current or former inmates. You're right. Yeah, I have that on my schedule at the same time as Holdovers. So it's one of those classic film festival, like, how do I figure out how to square the circle? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, that, another Little Goldman MVP, Vicky Creeps, is also getting a yes. tribute award. Yeah, she's in the Viggo Mortensen movie, um, The Dead Don't Hurt. I not keep calling dead, it The dead, dead Don't Die. I know. I keep doing it. I Googled it yesterday, and I was like, no, it's not Jim Jarmusch. Well, it's because there's all these, you know, there's a handful of actors uh, making directorial debuts, like um, Patricia Arquette and Anna Kendrick. But then Viggo Mortensen, like, he's got a track record. Like, um, Captain mm-hmm. Fantastic went a long way. So, um, yeah, that's definitely one to keep an eye out for, too. Well, we'll be back next week talking about all of this. We'll have so much to dig into. Um Follow us at um, on Twitter and Instagram, VF Awards Insider. We have a live blog running from Venice and Telluride that will pivot to TIFF. So as you listen to this, you can scroll back through um, days and days of posts and details and who David's potted at brunch in Telluride. Um, that's really the beauty of the live blog, I think, is we get to include all the little gossip that otherwise would just be texted to each other. So enjoy. And you can follow us all on our own on social media. I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos. And David. David Canfield 97. David actually tweeting this time of year, which is a rare treat. So (laughs) please enjoy it. We got one more week of it. (laughs) And Rebecca. (laughs) Becca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the fair warning we give you if you come up and say hello to us at a film festival goes to Rebecca Ford. Get ready to cry. 